Vinny Smith slaps it. Looking, Curry toward the corner, trying to get it to Luka. They do, but way outside. Jackson switches on to him. Can he get it away in time on the step back? He does! He hits! He hits! And the Mavericks have won the game! Luka Doncic with a 30-footer to win it at the horn! And the series is tied at two games apiece! Welcome back to a playoff edition of 77 Minutes in Heaven. And we are recording this on Sunday because we couldn't wait even until Monday morning to record this. We wanted to get this out as soon as we can. Yes. The Mavericks win on Luka Magic. Just an iconic performance. Mark Followell, you didn't get to call this game, but were you jumping up and down at at Followell Manor? (laughs) I was. I was very, very excited. There was definitely a fist pump. And some jumping up and down. There was a, a lot of excitement at Follow So we do, this, uh, we do the post-game show for the ticket, and we, we go on right at the buzzer. So uh, I, I have it set up kind of farther away from the chair that I, that I watched the game at. So I was actually standing up, getting ready to walk over there, yeah. you know, not knowing how it was going to end. I knew it was going to end one way or the other because it wasn't going to be another overtime. And let's just say that uh, for some reason, I guess I was so just – tight and anxious that the words F you just kept coming out of my mouth over and over as I'm pointing at the TV. I don't know why that was my reaction of just kind of happy anger. Yeah. You know, well, it's this, the, it's this the playoffs. Hate, this hate yelling. Yeah. It's the playoffs, man. So I, I think that one the beauty of the playoffs is, and this is what establishes rivalries is that you, you build up, angst and uh, that sort of feelings for the other team when you play against them uh, time after time after time, day after day after day in a series. I mean, that's what made the Mavs Spurs rivalry what it was, was seeing each other in the playoffs three times in, you know, 0-1-0-3-0-6, and then again in 0-9-10-14. I mean, the Mavs have played the Spurs more than anybody in the playoffs, so that's what made the rivalry so good. But never has there been a time that this podcast has been more appropriately named 77 Minutes in Heaven, mm. because we're we're in heaven right now. We could probably do 77 Minutes. We might very well do that on Game 4, and really the whole series, because so much has happened since you and I had a chance to do the podcast after Game 1 uh, last Tuesday morning, after the Clippers had opened up the series or the win in game one. And we've had, uh, as you've accurately pointed out many times, and it's just been a while since we've been part of this and forgotten it, we have been on such a roller coaster of emotions, uh, as every playoff series is, or, or a lot of them are. I guess it's not much of a roller coaster if you're Philadelphia and you get bounced in a sweep like, like they did against Boston. But we've just been on such an unbelievable up, down, up, down, and just such through a an amazing run of feelings in the last week. And it's been a lot of fun. It's just amazing. And so, you know, we're going to talk about this game, the fresh one in our minds here first. I mean, first of all, and I I mentioned this on our post game that it's the, it's by far the biggest win since Vince Carter shot in 2014. That was the last time Brian, and obviously the Mavs don't lead this series. It's two, two, but man, if two, two ever felt like leading a series based on the way you won the game today, you would argue that. Um, but but Vince Carter's three to beat San Antonio and the one versus eight Spurs versus Mavs matchup in 2014. That was in game three on a Saturday afternoon at American Airlines Center. It put Dallas up 2-1 in the series as the eight seed against the one seed. It's the last time the Mavs have led a playoff series. Wow. Yep, Six the last years. time. Yeah, and they've, they've even had a lead at any point in a playoff series uh, games. Is what I'm talking and about. really, that was a that was a team that no one expected a lot from. That was a 2014 Spurs team that ended up playing the beautiful basketball that won them the the championship after the heartbreak they had in 2013 in the finals. But uh, really, since 2011, if you're talking about you know a team that not that we expect them to win the title this year, but that is on an upward trajectory and that has hopes for you could yeah. say it's one of the biggest wins in nine years, but at least one of the top wins of the of the last decade. And and Luca. First you know, overtime game since the 2011 Conference Finals, Game 4. That was a big comeback against Oklahoma City. Right. Yep. So, uh, you know, I think two weeks ago we said after the Luka 30-point triple-double that that was the best game he's ever played. Well, that lasted two weeks. Yeah, the 36 points, 14 rebounds, 19 assists that he had. I believe that was the stat line that he had against Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, to go 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 dimes, as he did today – which, look, there's all kinds of qualifiers and things that we can attach to it. Uh, but the one 
that I would want to start with is just that those benchmarks, those three benchmarks, 43 points, 17 boards, 13 assists, have never been achieved in an NBA playoff game. Ever. Ever. Ever, ever. Uh, Two players have done uh, 40, 15, 10s, and those are Charles Barkley and Oscar Robertson, and his stats top those. Yep, yep. Uh, And according to Elias, one player in the history of the NBA has had a better stat line even including the regular season, and that man's name is Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> so, as I've said before, uh, I kind of alluded to maybe the idea of this, but after this game and doing it in the playoffs on this stage when everyone's watching and you've seen the reaction on Twitter from, you know, LeBron and Steph Curry and everybody kind yeah. of chiming in. Yeah, Steph Curry um, gave it a blouses yes. <laughs> on Twitter. Um, gave it a Dave Chappelle. <laughs> uh, he is now the front runner for next year's MVP. I don't think there's any question about it. That's uh, that's pretty bold, man. That is pretty bold. But but as long as he's healthy and the Mavericks have uh, an improvement, I mean, as, as long as the Mavericks jump from being a lower-rung Western Conference playoff team to a home court advantage in the first round at a minimum kind of team, then I think you would have a pretty a pretty solid argument for that. I want to get into um, a lot of the game from beginning to end, but let's focus on the very end of the game, the two possessions defensively and offensively that the Mavs had. Okay. So it is a uh, – we're up to – and the Clippers have the ball. MKG is put in defensively. We've got two timeouts in our pocket, so we can obviously know that whatever happens, we're going to have a timeout so we can sub MKG out. Right. Uh, he's the primary defender on Kawhi. Kawhi drives. MKG stays with him. Kleba doubles at towards the, the rim. Yeah, Kleba helps off Marcus Morris. And leaves Morris off in the corner. I don't have a problem with the way they defended that play. I'd much rather Morris... Uh, try a three from the corner, then you're giving a one-on-one look to Kawhi in the paint. I agree with that 100%. Yes, absolutely. At that point, I mean, look, it's a risk, obviously, to help off Morris because we do know his capability as a three-point shooter. But today, he had not made a three, and he was only two from eight from the field before that. So I have no problem with Maxi coming over to provide rim protection against a potential tying shot attempt by Kawhi in the paint. One of the best players, you know, going right now. So, yes, yeah. I agree with that. Now, I do have a f- couple of qualms with how the Mavs – so, number one, uh, they do have the two timeouts. They obviously – you know, one of the things you could say is go in transition and don't let the defense set itself. Now, you only have nine seconds, so you've got to spend some of that time getting across midcourt. Uh, I like the idea of calling the timeout, even though there's risk in throwing the ball in. You get to throw it in from the other side. Um, plus, you get – Michael Kidd Greencrest out of the game. Sure, of course. Uh, so, so I'm okay with that aspect. I did not like Kleba throwing the ball in, not because he's not a good guy to throw the ball in, but I would rather have Burke in there and have mm-hmm. somebody else. You know, I'd just rather have Burke in the game at that point, frankly. Right. Now, Kleba threw a. I think a. You know, you definitely want to get the ball in Luca's hands, but he threw it so far in the back court that it used up a lot of time getting the ball back to the right side of the floor. Mm-hmm. And with the foul to give, they smartly took it with 3.7 seconds. So now you're really behind the eight ball. You kind of botched things, I thought, mm-hmm. in the first part. Well, I think one of the reasons Kleba took the ball out of bounds is that I think the Mavs probably anticipated that the Clippers were going to have a foul to give. So I think that Rick wasn't going to run his best inbounds okay. play in All right. that case. That's fair enough. So, so, and I would say, as far as throwing the ball into the backcourt, I mean, you would have to ask Maxi what was going through his mind at that point in time. Maybe he was just being ultra safe to make I sure. Think he was. Yeah, he was being ultra safe to make sure that it wasn't where anybody necessarily and could. They, and they are a long team. Yeah. That, that could, you know, the, the pause of Kawhi or whoever was guarding him at the time probably could have could have gotten a swipe. And I, I don't know, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't know if this went through Maxie's head. I have asked Rick before, Coop and I have had chats with Rick and said sometimes, and in, and in that situation you wouldn't do it, but there have been times with 20 seconds to go in a game and the Mavs have a shot and the Mavs have the ball that Rick will not advance it that he will take it out in the backcourt. And I do know one of the things that Rick believes in, philosophically speaking, is getting a chance to have the play have a little bit of downhill momentum. 
So whether or not that was on Maxie's mind when he decided to throw the ball in the backcourt, I highly doubt it was. I think he was just being uber safe because I'm sure it was discussed in the huddle before they have a foul to give, so we're not going to show our best inbounds play. That's a really good point because – when they did throw the ball in again, Maxie was in the game, but he was in, in the field of play right. and on the court. And, uh, and I like that because he set a fantastic pick. Yes, he did. I mean, that was essential because everybody's talking about don't switch, don't switch. Well, if you go on Twitter, and I retweeted this, the, the, the video that Brad Townsend took from Indy Arena, mm-hmm. and it's a lot quieter there than what you hear because the crowd noise is piped in only on the broadcast and not in the arena. Correct. Or there's some in the arena, but not nearly as much as you hear on TV. So you can hear the coaches yelling from both sides very, very clearly. And the, 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 the pick is so well set that if there isn't a switch, then Luca's wide open shooting. Correct. So they had to switch and they targeted Jackson for that exact reason. They wanted that, that, matchup that's why that that was set that way Kleba set the pick you're right that was the play that they really wanted right it was beautifully drawn up beautifully executed and you hear the Clippers bench on that audio that Townsend sent out yelling switch so this was not just the players doing it it was called from the bench yeah yeah and and obviously the Mavs wanted Luka against a smaller less capable defender Mm-hmm. You know, and Reggie Jackson. And, so then that's oh. the man you're going to target in that lineup. You don't want Morris. You don't want PG. You don't want Kawhi. Yeah. Yep. And they were playing a small ball switch everything lineup because without Porzingis in there, then they were trying to kind of, uh, you know, downplay the effect of the pick and roll by switching everything. So uh, one quick thing also uh, is before that, bef- so before the Kawhi, you know, Marcus Morris three, the Mavs did have a chance to do a two-for-one, mm-hmm. and uh, Finney Smith, I think, didn't pull the trigger. I, I actually am okay with the way they played it because sometimes on the two-for-one, you force the shot. Absolutely, you do. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is you get two bad possessions instead of one really good possession. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have a problem with the two-for-one, but obviously then the story of the game is Luca hitting that. And, you know, listen, we've talked about his woes from three. Uh, I don't know what his, his – how did he shoot from three today? Four for ten. Four for ten. Yeah, so 40% for a guy who is about 32% in the regular season. Right. So, you know, listen, my confidence level probably wasn't huge when that, when that was going <laughs> up, especially when you're down one. And, but, uh, man, I mean, the just – the big balls to, to pull that off. It's, you know, when you put it in the context, and I guess we can start at the beginning, when you put it in the context of his last 36 hours or 40 hours, right? Um, it, it, it is amazing. Yes. I, I put it in the context of being injured on Friday, uh, not being able to finish out the game Friday, you know, getting it out, coming back, playing three uh, very ineffective minutes and clearly not being you know, being able to do anything. But we said on our ticket postgame show, we, we kicked it around a lot on Friday night talking about what we thought. And I said, I think he'll play. I think that as long as the MRI comes back clean, which, which it did, uh, and then especially based on the things that Luca was saying after the game on Friday night, which was, it's not that bad. Thank goodness it was my left ankle and not the right ankle, which he has had some problems with this year. Um, I felt... Pretty darn good all along that that he was going to gut it out and try to play. Yeah, nothing short of the MRI coming back with some bad news would I think would have kept him out. Yeah. And you saw ABC showed the regimen of treatment basically every two hours, you know, except for, you know, midnight to 7 a.m. Essentially, he was yeah. getting treatment you know, for the last 40 hours. You know, I think as we know from watching a guy like Dirk and all of the ankle problems that he had, sprained ankles and things like that early in his career, um, you know, we, there's there's not much risk in going out and, you know, just doing everything you can to tape up an ankle and trying to get through it. You know, whereas you, of course, are going to err on the side of caution when you have a big man develop, you know, that has knee soreness that becomes problematic before him, before the game. That's something you're not going to risk. An ankle thing, as, as you and I know from just seeing, you know, Dirk up close and personal all the years, isn't necessarily something that it's like, oh, my gosh, if he goes out there. I mean, you know, you have you, can't risk, get worse. you risk further injury and things like that. And as a matter of fact, here 
On The Athletic, I saw that Saad Yusuf had talked to Maverick's former team physician, Dr. Tio Soryal, who basically said all of those things. He talked to him on a piece that dropped uh, on the Athletic DFW site on Saturday night where he, in essence, said that, um, you know, as as long as the MRI is okay, um, you know, then I would suspect he'll play because there's nothing that you're risking here in terms of further damage. And and you know he got a lot of treatment. He uh, he you saw him grimacing a few times. Yep. Um, but I don't know if he got a cortisone shot or not. Yeah. You I, see the, the guy said on the telecast early on they noticed a little hitch. Yes. When he was running up the floor three or four minutes into the game at one point, I think after maybe his first layup that he made. Um, but listen, if he can do that, then I don't know why there would be any setback, you know, for him, especially now that he got an, an additional five or six hours. Uh, since they don't play till Tuesday evening. Um, but the other big story, obviously, was the absence of Christoph Porzingis. And, you know, we were all excited when we heard the news about an hour and a half before the game that uh, Luca would play. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty excited. And I was not on Twitter when uh, the Philly-Boston game would never end. And we finally got <laughs> to the Mavs game. Um, I, I, I put it this way in our post game that it, it – I, I got slumped shoulders and it reminded me of when I go on blind dates and a girl walks in the restaurant and sees me at the table and that, that look of disappointment, you know, it's kind of the slumped shoulders like, oh, crap. You're excited and just let down. That's the way I felt when I realized Porzingis wasn't playing. And it seemed that the Mavs for the first quarter and a half uh, played like that. Yeah. You know, the funny funny story on, on I didn't know until tip-off that he wasn't going to play. And... Um, you know, I texted you that Luca was in that, you know, Mavs PR had tweeted this about one thirty um, at two o'clock because I knew the game wasn't scheduled to tip off until two forty five and it could slide back based on how the network handled it with what happened with Boston and Philly. So I went and did like my quick run in the neighborhood. So I wouldn't have to worry about that later tonight or anything like that. You know, I knew we were recording the podcast. So I got my running done. I can't, can't miss that. <laughs> can't miss that, Brian. You know that. So I came back and got out of the shower and got dressed and was basically walking into the room about 45 seconds before tip-off. And my first reaction honestly was, man, Rick really must want to play fast. And those Great guys work. on the telecast yes. were saying that Rick told them that they've got to play faster to have success against the Clippers. And I was like, my God, is what a second guess he is opening himself up to that this is how he's decided he's going to play fast by not starting Porzingis. And then I got on Twitter and saw that. Well, was, I thought it before yeah. I noticed Porzingis was out, I saw Trey Burke in there, and I thought he had swapped him for Maxi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so. The game tipped at 255, Brian, and Mavs PR tweeted out at 247 that he was out. Okay, so so – the injury report listed uh, probable uh, right heel. So it, it, now between one and two, this issue was listed on the injury report, right? Yes, right knee soreness was listed on the injury report. He was listed as questionable when it came out sometime on Tuesday afternoon after the game was played on Monday night. And then he stayed questionable, and there was no, you know, it was after Maverick media availability, so it wasn't addressed on Tuesday afternoon. It was later in the day on Tuesday whenever he was listed. So then we didn't have immediate availability to know anything until we heard from Rick before the game on Wednesday. However, during the day Wednesday, at some point, probably at 3 or 4 o'clock Central Time, somewhere around there, uh, another injury report came out and Porzingis was upgraded to probable. And, then, and, and Rick said that, uh, that, that he was asked about Porzingis before game two on Wednesday, and he said that there was uh, some soreness there, uh, but the more he moved around at practice on Tuesday, the better it got. And then he woke up feeling a lot better this morning, speaking of Wednesday morning. So that's the background on what was going Has on Has the there. right knee soreness uh, come up at the bubble at all before that? Um, I, it might have. I'm, I'm, I, I can't think off the top of my head if it has, but I believe that there has been a time that maybe he was uh, questionable on an injury report. Um, I think that they they kept him out. They put in the injury report for the Phoenix game. They put heel contusion whenever yeah, he set that were, last those game. Those were kind of worthless games. Yeah, yeah. You know the the reason I ask is because uh, you know when, when the injury report did come out before game two, I blew that off. I was just like, oh, that's kind of one of these. You know, yeah, he's got a little nick, but right. I didn't I didn't really sweat him playing game two. But obviously, it's a bigger deal. It just surprises me. You know, 
did something happen right at the end? Did he kind of land weird or feel bad? Because obviously he was listed as a starter and the starting lineups were announced around two. Yes, the starting lineups. The first tweet I saw of starting lineups were at 2.05. So, uh, and, and if the game had started at 2.30, would he have played then? Did, did the, you, you notice something on the video uh, of, of Harrell, Montrez Harrell and Luca talking of, of, of Porzingis actually limping around? Yeah, he's in the foreground on that video for anybody who has taped the game and wants to go back and watch it. And you can see that there is a weird gait about how he's walking. Like, he comes into the foreground of that camera shot for for a second or so, and it's kind of, he looks like he's got a weird gait at that point. Um, and usually they run out there for that around 20 minutes before tip, and they would have known that the game, you know, probably starting around 225, I would say. Well, it was scheduled for a 245, yeah, scheduled yeah. for a 245 start, and they would have known that, bought, you know, the, the they probably wouldn't have gone on the floor before the decision had been made by the NBA to move the tip back. To 255 because of the the length of what was so going on. Remember, and at 247, you say you know PR came out, so probably somewhere in those 12 minutes is when they yeah. the final decision was made during the warmups. I mean, yeah, at some point in time, something something flared up during warmups, which is not the first time that this sort of thing yeah, has so walk happened. Us with back him. to the this is not the ACL knee, correct? This is the right knee, correct? Uh, what is the origin of this injury? Well, the the one thing I can tell you is this, Brian, is that back in December, on December 29th, the Mavs played a second night of a back-to-back at the Lakers. And if you'll recall, at the beginning of the year, we all assumed Porzingis would sit back-to-backs. Uh, the first back-to-back the Mavs played, which uh, seems like eons ago, when they lost at home to New York and then played in Memphis yep. the next night. <laughs> what a ridiculous loss that was. But uh, they played in Memphis the next night, and and KP set the game on the second night of a back-to-back. But then moving forward, and a lot of this was some good fortune because they had a couple of blowouts on the front ends of back-to-backs. And so, I mean, like huge blowouts. So Porzingis only played like 18 minutes. And so he ended up playing on the second games of back-to-backs. That ended up happening. Uh, something that we did not expect would happen at the start of the year. Uh, and so we rolled to the end of December, and there was a second night of a back-to-back, and Porzingis played a game when the Mavs played in L.A. against the Lakers after he didn't have to log heavy minutes the night before in a win at Golden State. And he played, and he came down kind of weird and said that he had wrenched his knee. Uh, and before the next game, which was two nights later on New Year's Eve in Oklahoma City, he was, in just the same way this whole thing unfolded today, he was in the starting lineup and was going to play that game. And about 10 minutes before the game was scheduled to tip off, uh, we found out that he was a late scratch with right knee soreness. And so we go two weeks into the future, and the Mavs have a road back-to-back, and Porzingis sits this whole time. You know that starting with that New Year's Eve game against Oklahoma City since the first two weeks of January, basically, and then the Mavs get to a road back to back, and they hold Porzingis out on the front end of a game at Golden State, and the plan was with that extra day, and since it was a back to back anyway, they wouldn't play him two straight games, of course, coming right back. So they play; they were going to play him on the second night of a back to back in Sacramento. So much so that was the plan that Rick said in his media availability. Ninety minutes before the game, he's going to play. At 60 minutes before game time, when you have to turn in your 13-man active roster, he was part of the 13-man active roster. And then probably about 20 or 30 minutes later, 30 minutes before tip, I got a text, and, and not just me, we all, the traveling media party, you know, beat writers and, and TV and radio guys, we got a text that uh, he was going to be scratched because of right knee soreness. And then ended up not coming back until another six days later. You know, missed, missed that happened, game and another one. Then he missed some games later for the same reason, right? Um, season, or is that it? That's is it. That one, that's that it. That one stretch. Yeah, that one stretch. And then so, they just set him on the second nights of back-to-backs. So the concern for me is that the other time this has happened was a three-week layoff, right? And we're yeah. talking about two days from now right? when we want him to play. So right. uh, that's concerning. There is an MRI scheduled for Sunday afternoon. Um, hopefully that's just a precautionary measure, but you have to take a look. Sure, of course. Absolutely. Um, so, you know... I, Listen, I literally, I mean, this is a crazy series, right? We've gone from the the madness that we felt after, you know, on our last pod after game one to mm-hmm. an amazing win when Luca's in foul trouble mm-hmm. to, oh my gosh, the sky is falling, Luca's hurt. Right. To KP's out. We haven't played 
with our full team, really, in four games. Yeah, from minute one to minute 48. Yes. With the full team available to play for whatever reason. So I literally have no idea what game five is going to be like. <laughs> we don't know who's going to play. We don't know how they're going to play. I mean, it. this is just, it's crazy, but... I thought I, I thought a combination of things happened today, though, uh, about the start. Since mm-hmm. you're kind of talking about the roller coaster, yeah. uh, if if you want to jump into yeah. that now, um, is that and you said this on our ticket post game show, the team played like they were demoralized, like they found out KP was a scratch right before the game, and and Luca was, you know, looked like he was seventy five percent early on. Yes. Don't and I feel like that may have been just he had to get to the place where he trusted everything. You know, like like any player when you're coming off an injury, and obviously this isn't coming off a long injury, but this was an ankle sprain that happened less than 48 hours ago. And obviously, with the, all of the treatment that he went through and everything, I think that it's understandable that maybe he was a little tentative at the beginning of the game. Um, so so his. Um, his own tentative play, but I don't think that was just it. I think that if you looked at body language of the whole team, it didn't look good. It looked like we're demoralized because Porzingis was a scratch eight minutes before the game was going to tip off. The Clippers saw a wounded animal and they attacked. Yeah, and and then Luca's out there looking like, I'm not sure how much I trust this yet. And it's almost like, uh, number one, they needed to get punched in the face, and and maybe Luca needed to go out of the game for a little while, which he did, and then come back. And then after he sat for a second, it's like, okay, I'm okay. Everything's going to be fine. I can go out and play my game. And now. there's some fear when you take him out that, well, it could tighten up on you. But. Yeah. If you remember, Brian, that early in Dirk's career when he was having ankle troubles and he would get a, have an injured ankle and miss a game or two, and then he would come back. I mean, this happened numerous times. He played 48 minutes. Nelly wouldn't take him out of the game because it's like he's better off playing 48 minutes than he is coming out of the game and the ankle swelling and tightening, to your point. So in the what was the score at this worst point when it was 21 points? 54-33. And I think uh, you and I were texting during the game, and, and we were, you know, listen, it looked horrendous. Yeah, and I texted I you, they looked pathetic. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's fair to say that that's okay to think that because they did look pathetic. Yeah, absolutely. And they just chipped away. It wasn't like there was one moment that galvanized things like a movie or something. They just right. played better defense and executed. Luca, you could see in Luca he was he was he finally did what I kind of wanted him to do, which was channel some of that anger he has from the refs or maybe some of the hard play mm-hmm. and just turn it into his play. You know, one thing Shaq said yesterday on TNT was, you know, the, one of the two players he had to stop hazing because it didn't work was Goran Dragic because right. Dragic told him, man, I'm from Slovenia. I've seen it all. And, <laughs> and Luca's the same way. You're not going to bully him like Marcus Morris and some of those guys tried to do. And, you know, I even tweeted uh, Luca's first entrance for Real Madrid at 16, his debut, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, Sunday afternoon. And within 15 seconds, he drains his first three. At 16, <laughs> you know, incredible. the guy's just got ice water in his veins. And so um, they just chipped away. And really, it was the second quarter. As much as the third quarter, you know, they went from eight down to 10 up. Um, it was really the second quarter that they they kind of climbed back from that 21 down to make it an eight-point game at half. Yeah. And that was the key. And, and they even really, made it six, Brian. They made it six late on a couple of occasions late in the second quarter, and it was eight at the half. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that really – listen, this game, regardless of what happens in this series, and I don't believe in moral victories, but this is one of those games that I think if you're writing a book and you look back is going to be – the time when they say, you know what, we we knew that we're not just a team that belongs or is lucky to be here. We can play with anybody. Yeah. I think as you look at the second quarter of the game, um, defensively, Kid Gilchrist absolutely impacted the game. And, and more on that in a minute. And then on offense, Luka got better. And Burke and Curry, uh, once again, were just uh, were outstanding, as they have been – for the most part, throughout the series, Burke wasn't very good in Game One, but beyond that, you know, 
Burke has been has been good in this series and has been you know good more than he hasn't been in the bubble. Uh, if you count the seeding games as well, obviously he's a streak player. I just like the confidence player, and swagger. There's nothing wrong yeah, with that. Absolutely. It, it, yes. At times it's going to bite you in the ass. We take some ill-fated shots or passes, but but I'll, I'll take some of that. Yeah. Seth was you know Seth was part of that little burst. You know mostly it was Luke and Burke on offense, but Seth provided a couple of baskets in that in that stretch. And again, I, I well, Luke was playing good defense. Yeah, Luca played good defense, and and maybe some of that. Look, when you got a guy out there that is playing like Kid Gilchrist, I think there's you know there's going to be some rub off effect on his teammates. And I did not like that signing in February, dude. And and you and I talked about it, and I think that you you were much more positive about that signing than I was when we would when we would talk about it after our ticket post game shows. You you felt like this team needs somebody who can you know this team needs another wing defender. Somebody who can switch and who can get into other people, and it just—I just was so demoralized by the idea. It's like you're going to be playing four on five on yes. offense. You're focusing on the offensive side, which I completely understand. And I've yeah. been—I've been a, you know, I had my sights on on DFS for a long time. Yeah, he couldn't hit his threes. Yeah, but he's a really good defender. He and, is. You're right, and he can defend one through five. Mm-hmm. And I'm—I'm uh, I'm willing to, and, and I think Rick's using him in the right ways here, in limited minutes, I'm willing to take some of that. Yes. If he's really helping on the defensive end. And, you know, one of the real things about bubble play is that, you know, you don't have momentum, so you don't have the crowd spurring you on to a 16-0 run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got to play. And you saw during the third quarter run, you know, Doc made him play through it. And, frankly, I didn't like that Rick called the timeout to stop, yeah. uh, stop kind of the run <laughs> when it was 86-81, I believe. Uh, it kind of shortened uh, the the lead shortened a bit, but you know coaching really makes a huge difference in the bubble. Mm-hmm. You can hear everybody all the time, as yep. I mentioned, but also Rick just knows he knows what he has. He knows how to use people for how long in the right spots. He knows how much Boban, how mm-hmm. much Trey, when, how yep. much mkg you know i didn't really like the justin jackson but he's i think it was an in case of emergency break glass jj and justin jackson let's just see what you have kind of he, deal. he was clearly he was searching yes you know and then he found out nope <laughs> delon as we've hoped for for a while has been you know yeah he was out of the rotation completely today close uh you know he's, he, he 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 but i think he out coached doc and what you know we saw doc made his move as i mentioned before going small and switching everything because Porzingis wasn't in there and you really didn't have to worry about Maxi so much. So, uh, but it cost, it cost him on the boards and we outread about him. I think 51, 44 on the boards today. So I think look, Rick, Rick said it in the post game press conference after game six in 2011, when the Mavs won in Miami and, and people, you know, are, are asking about how you're going to be able to win on a team that JJ Barea is playing heavy minutes and Mahimi was playing and Cardinal was having Sean to play Stevenson. by the, yeah, all those guys are having to play. And at some point in time during that press conference, Rick said, our approach here is it's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can do. And I think that Rick has coached, uh, you know, for the most part, coaches his always coaches his teams that way, and I think that especially in these playoff series, he sort of thrives in these situations. That's why they took in a as San Antonio to seven games in the one eight matchup in 2014. I think in these long series, Rick is able to get a feel for how much I can use these role players and how to to use them the right amount and not overexpose them. And properly deploy them, and and you know preaches to these guys all the time. Be ready. So that means that you know you might play two or three minutes one night, and you might play nineteen the next. And I think, for example, I think that's kind of what happened has happened with Kid Gilchrist. You know, he's been a like I think in a couple of games of this series has been a less than five minute a game player, but he's also had you know today's game where he's played nineteen minutes. And and you know if you look back, I mean. In that 2011 run, Corey Brewer won a game for him, right? Yeah. Miami played really well in that game six. You mentioned, you know, Cardinal. Yeah. Some of these reaches, like Justin Jackson in this game, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But mm-hmm. when they strike, you know, it's well worth it. And I think, uh, listen, you're shorthanded, especially now without Porzingis, you're even more shorthanded. Mm-hmm. And JJ was needed because if Trey Burke's starting and Seth is starting, you know, you need somebody to play some backup two minutes, right? Right. To, to backup one minutes, rather. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, yeah, I think he really, you know, did a good job today. And I was just really impressed with the way they were able to 
withstand the punches um, and 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 kind of just not not give up like you and I did watching the game. <laughs> well, that speaks again to Rick's. You know, look, we we've heard it so much. I mean, Rick's been here twelve years. Uh, you know, you and I are obviously really close to the situation, and I, we know the Rick isms. Uh, and we and we and we have laughs about them on a po- on our post game show on the ticket. About well, a thousand it, events happening during well, the game. Today's but. was was <laughs> I think his coup de gras when he he said that Lucas sees the game in six G. <laughs> wow, that yeah. is so Rick. <laughs> I just want to look back when he was playing in Virginia and seeing that if he if he said Ralph Sampson sees the game in Betamax instead of VHS <laughs> or something like that. Six I mean, G. But we you know we've heard him say that playoff games are all about managing and he this is a paraphrase on my part managing the hard parts of the game he'll just say playoff games are about staying with it and not getting discouraged and understanding that playoff games are long playoff you know 48 minutes is a long time there's going to be a lot of bad things that happen you're going to have swings of momentum and swings of emotion and I think Rick's just you know he's really in his element uh in these playoff situations especially and is very very good at guiding a team uh especially that doesn't have much veteran playoff experience i mean jj played his 50th playoff game today brian that's by far more than anybody else on the team the delon wright's the only other guy who's played at least 30 and i think he's at 31 after playing the first and three he's games the of one with series. the biggest deer in his headlights of anybody on the on the roster and I, yeah. I was kind of lamenting early on when we were down 21 about the lack of veteran leadership to calm the players down and and kind of get their bearings because they are a young team, and frankly, Luca's the leader. He's always going to be the leader. Your best when you have a guy like that who's so good, he's your de facto leader. Yes, and he's young and impetuous, and and sometimes he it takes him a while to kind of calm down and, mm-hmm. and get back into it. Hey, Mavs fans, Kent Garrison here from the Athletic. I know you're enjoying this post game breakdown from Brian Demaris and Mark Followell, but I want to tell you about a little company that Mark Cuban invested in called Manscaped. Summer's not over, and guys. You want to make sure when you hit the beach that you're ready to go. You need that lawnmower 3.0. It's the best hygiene tool for the modern man. It's got that ceramic blade, safe skin technology. It keeps you safe from all those unwanted snacks. For a limited time, our subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off and free shipping with code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping with code THEATHLETIC20 with Manscaped. One of the things was, you know, the Clippers, we kind of sometimes make excuses for them, but, you know, they they had a little civil war earlier this year too between the players that were there last year that made Mm -hmm. the playoffs and the new guys who were load managing, and there was some chirping about... You know, we, we, you know, how hard they should be working. And they kind of, frankly, walked through the regular season. And everybody's right. kind of giving them excuses. Well, they don't have Pat Bev and Harold's just. So, but that's who they, I mean, that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're, they've only played 11 games with their full complement of players. And that's who they are. And so I think that when you can play a game like this, you can expose the big bad wolf as maybe being you know in sheep's clothing a little bit and you and and you start to make them doubt themselves and start having cracks and and we've seen obviously it's paul george is in his head at this point he's an excellent player Mm -hmm. who is this is in you know this is mental now for him right and by the way, this follows up a, a five-game loss to Portland last year with Oklahoma City, where he also shot the ball very poorly from three. You know, his overall percentage wasn't too bad, you know, and certainly wasn't as bad as it is in this percentage. But his three-point shooting was way off. I mean, we're talking thirty-one percent um, in the in the series last year against Portland when they lost in five games to Dame and the you know the forty-foot walk-off shot that Dame had at the end of the series last year. So so. So George is in his head. And I think, you know, from the Mavs perspective, you've now seen in the two wins, you've seen the the how important it is to have guys who can pick up Luca and be around and be able to step up in moments when he sits with foul trouble. And so, you know, you 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 realize that you have a team of a lot of other good players around him. And then today you also realize though 
the value of having the star who, if I may be sports cliche guy, but, but this is true. And we even heard the TNT guys before we started recording our podcast uh, about the, the, what they said at halftime of this game while we're recording that we're watching, which is Toronto and Brooklyn, that this was an individual putting a team on his back, willing a team to win. And I know that those are sports cliches, but I do feel like that there's something too that that a team derives an energy from its best player when its best player is just playing at these uh, you know stratospheric levels. And Especially playing. not at 100%. Especially, yes, absolutely. And that's why you need it. You know, I think basketball is unique that, you know, you look at Toronto, I think Toronto's a great team, but, you know, is Siakam ready to be the guy like Dirk did in games two and five to just go get you that bucket in 2011, right? Mm -hmm, Right. You have to have that star that can do that Mm -hmm. because having a lot of really good players is nice, but you, you need to have the comfort of knowing everybody knew Luca was taking that shot at the end. Right. 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 Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. And you need that. It's good to have the guys who can manage, uh, the 13 minutes of game time that they managed when Luca was in foul trouble and sitting, on on yes. on uh, in game two, but then it's good to have that guy at the end of the game because it wasn't just the last shot. I mean, he was taking most of the shots, not all of them, but everything was funneling through him in in the critical moments of the game. Today. And not only that, I mean, he sat for the first what four minutes of the fourth, if not more. I mean, you know, they the Mavs did not just uh, those were critical moments and, and, and I don't know what the plus minus was, but they didn't just, you know, crap the bed and, and, you know, end up with a tie score. They were still up 10 by at the five minute mark. 95 85 was the score at the start of the fourth quarter. Dallas was up and it looks to me like Luca did not go back in until eight thirty three left. So he set the first three minutes and 27 seconds of the third quarter or fourth quarter. And it was even Steven. Yeah. Yeah. It was 11, 11. And the time that uh, so that's that huge, and I think that a lot of that confidence that unit had was from that game two, where they were able to, when Luca played four of the last eighteen minutes because of, of yep. uh, foul trouble, mm-hmm. to you know win that game. Right, and as I said, they played you know without Kristaps, they were up seventy one sixty six when Kristaps went out in the in the third with seven eleven to third, and they weren't able to hold on to that one. You know. Uh, uh, Kawhi took over. Right. Then it's the foul trouble where they were able to win that game. Then it's the injury where, you know, they still only lost by eight right. in game three. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I mean, it's just, it, listen, it, it, anybody who wants to gamble in game five, good luck to you because <laughs> I honestly have no idea what to expect. And it, it's it's absolutely a blast. One thing I do want you to touch on is, you know, Maxie has really been suffering on the offensive end. I think he's... Uh, you know, doesn't have any confidence to shot. You saw him late in the game uh, just give up, pass the ball, didn't want to shoot it, which I think was fine because it just he's one of 15, I believe, in the series. On threes, um, yeah. But he is playing good defense. Even though Kawhi is, you know, 36 today, playing really well, uh, you have some numbers on how Maxi is actually being making Kawhi really, really work hard for those those numbers that he's getting. Yeah, bear with me here for a minute. Let me see and if as I As you can pull find. that up, you it, know... It, it may take me a minute to yeah, find it, but... Because, you know, listen, Maxi, you know, he's a 10-point-a-game player, and he is what he is, but he, he is a good defender. And, you know, I think Finney Smith has had... He's just a little small for what Kawhi do. Kawhi's one of the best players. You know, he's a top-five player in this league. Yeah. So he's going to get his points. If you can make him work just a little harder, then... You know, I have no problem with that. And again, MKG is probably your best on-ball defender for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, here, I think I might be able to pull it up through my email. Yeah, I got it tweeted to me, and it was and surprisingly, I have a lot of mentions today. <laughs> well, well, yeah, somebody's yeah. throwing their uh, Twitter cred right in my face here. Uh, so given, yeah, I can't, I can't even scroll back to. Well, to I think generally speaking, the point was that it was, you know. Of the players this year who have guarded him, you know, whatever number of times that Maxi is actually making Kawhi work harder than anybody else for those points. I'm going to, I promise you that I'm going to get to it. Okay. All right. We're, we're getting close. We're getting close. We're about to find this here. This is live coverage of how popular Followell is on Twitter. All right, here we go. All right. So this is from a website called last night in basketball. Um, and this was posted 
on August 22nd. So this was posted uh, the morning after Game 3, right? Right. Kawhi Leonard has become essentially a perfect offensive player. Uh, he's a plus shooter from everywhere on the floor, per cleaning the glass, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going well, to get into all these Kawhi stats. Uh, he's kept it up in the playoffs, pouring in 99 points in the first three games against the Mavs, shooting 51.5% from the floor, making 28 of 30 free throws, tossing 16 assists against only eight turnovers. So it feels a bit strange to describe the job Maxi Kleba is doing on him as nothing short of incredible, but that's actually the truth. Kleba has been amazing. He's made Kawhi work for absolutely every inch, contested nearly every shot, and avoided fouling when at all possible. According to Second Spectrum, there have been 17 different occasions where an opponent has defended Kawhi on at least 100 half-court position possessions in a playoff series uh, since 2013-14. Kleba has held Kawhi to his third lowest effective field goal percentage among that group behind only Malcolm Brogdon in last year's Eastern Conference Finals and Kevin Durant in the 2014 Western Conference Finals. Both excellent defenders. Yes. The only other Mav who has spent a lot of time on Kawhi in this series is Dorian Finney-Smith, and he's gotten torched. Kawhi has 30 points on 66 half-court matchups against DFS, compared with 44 on 115 matchups with Kleba. His effective field goal percentage against Finney Smith is 63%, which dwarfs the figure that he has posted against Kleba as well. There so, you go. you know, he is making him work for it. And, yeah. and it's, oh, and this says, it's further notable that among the players who have defended Kawhi in at least 100 possessions in a series, Kleba has been the only big man. Um, Aaron Gordon, Andre Iguodala, although I'd argue you could call Gordon a big man, but anyway, Andre Iguodala, Andre Robertson, Ben Simmons, James Ennis, Durant, Chris Middleton, LeBron, Brogdon, Matt Barnes, Monte Ellis, Nick Batum, Trevor Ariza, Vince Carter, and Wesley Matthews are the other guys to do it. So there you go. I don't know. I would say that uh, some of those guys are you know, compare a little bit more favorably and closer to Kleba than, than the writer of this article is saying. But it's Jared Dubbin, and the website is lastnightinbasketball.substack.com. And somebody sent this to me on Twitter early on Saturday morning. So, you know, one of the it's, interesting, it's very interesting notes as we look ahead is the Mavs still really haven't shot the three ball that well. Now, part of that is because the Clippers are so good defensively. Yeah. <laughs> They're just not giving you open looks, and you obviously have tighter defense in the playoffs. Percentage but, has been good, just a lower number, just taking fewer threes, and actually, like, But you I'm know, fine with that, because yeah. I want them attacking right. for a couple of reasons. One is, let's try to get some foul trouble going. Which they've done in, in several of these games. And the other is, you know, listen, I think, you know, I saw it in the third, I think early in the third, when they kind of, you know, you get some lazy possessions where... Uh, Hardaway's bringing it up and he just shoots a three or, or something. And, and I don't want them to get three happy and settle uh, because going to the paint has been effective. And you saw, you know, listen, at one point the Clippers ran a zone. Yeah. Just to try to stop them. So just to give you the stats on the Mavs and three point shooting in the playoffs, 38%. So they're actually a full percentage point and a little bit more higher than their regular season three point percentage. However, uh, even with an overtime game factored in today, but I don't. But they only shot what twenty nine threes again today. Is that right? They I shot thirty six of uh, one hundred four. Is that right? Something oh, like that. Oh, so they had one hundred and four shots today, and they had thirty six three point attempts. Is what correct. it was. Okay, okay, all right. Sorry, I thought they shot fewer threes than that today, but but the thirty seven point eight attempts is is four less than yes, what they thirty six of one hundred four uh, uh, attempts. So one hundred and four total so, field goal attempts, and thirty six way... of them were threes. Yeah. Right, which is way below their norm. I mean, they shoot in the 40s. Usually. Yeah, they normally shoot 41 threes a game and normally take 90 shots a game. So their their three-point attempt ratio is basically about 45 46% of their shots. Uh, in today's game, it works out to be more like about 34% based and on you're those talking, 33 that's, that's with Maxi, you know, uh, let's see. Luca is uh, 4 of 10. Booker, today, uh, yeah. Burke had 4 of 5. Hardaway three of eight, but then you had Maxie's O of five, Curry's O of one. Usually you can count on him. He's been shooting the ball really well. So, you know, if you're looking at, you know, some positives to look forward to when we still have Porzingis up in the air is we have to play another 48 hours of will he or won't he play with somebody else now, one of our two main cogs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Mavericks you know, are still maybe due for a hot shooting game. 
if you looked at uh, if you if you calculated league leaders in the playoffs and you did it the same way that you did it for benchmarks that you have to meet in the regular season for statistical minimums. So, so field goal percentage and Seth Curry is where I'm going with this. So, so you follow along in the regular season, you have to average basically 3.7 made field goals per game to qualify, to be on the field goal percentage leaders. Uh, Dwight Powell, for example, doesn't shoot enough. There was the year before this one, Dwight needed like 10 more made field goals. And if he had had that, then he would have been like sixth in the league in field goal percentage. So, And obviously this is usually dominated by big men. Yes, correct, because they're all, always around the basket. So 3.7 made field goals per team game. Um, and so if you go on that number, the league leader in the playoffs in field goal percentage is Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz at 72%. And number two in the NBA in field goal percentage at 65% is Seth Curry. And that is at 26 out of 40. And Seth is doing that, Brian, with a surprisingly high number of mid-range shots. Yes. I mean, Seth is taking uh, 10 shots a game, of which only four are threes. And, and, and like I say, he's 0-1 today, and, and you know, but yeah. still had a good game. I mean, his, uh, you know, he took a lot more threes in that game, game three, where he went 9 for 11 overall, and I think he went 4 for 4 or 4 or 5 or something like that on threes in game three when the Mavs lost. But, I mean, Seth is, is putting up great numbers uh, and is second in the league right now. Now, Mike Conley had a great one game that he's played, so if he has another game along those lines and tonight, then, uh, you know, Conley would have enough pardon me, field goal attempts to jump up into to that equation as well. But um, at least if you're calculating field goal percentage leaders in the playoffs in the same manner that the league calculates them in terms of statistical minimums to be, uh, you know, in the official stats for the regular season, then Seth Curry's number two in the playoffs right now in field goal percentage. But but to me, you know, one thing I want to say and bring up before the, the, the podcast comes to an end, Brian, is today on our ticket postgame show, I read this tweet and I said, I, can, I, can I read old man sports, crusty old sports writer tweet? I've got one for you. this is the crustiest of crusty old men. Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe, who tweeted today after the game that, I, I don't have it in front of me, but basically it was, I've seen every great player in the last 60 years. Luka Doncic takes my breath away. And, you know... There's, there's, there's a famous story about old crusty sports writers that Randy Galloway used to, he, he tells this story and he told it to me one time about this old sports writer in the 50s that worked at the Dallas Morning News named Merle Hereford. And so in 1956, Merle is at the typewriter in the sports room. This is, this is why I want people to understand the concept of crusty, curmudgeonly old sports writers. This Merle Hereford cigar is in, the, in their mouth. Oh, he's got a cigar. Yeah, absolutely. Got a cigar in his mouth, and he's at his typewriter in 1956 in the Dallas Morning News sports room. And the young, a young copy boy runs in and says, Mr. Hereford, Mr. Hereford, you won't believe this. It's in the seventh inning right now, and Don Larson is pitching a perfect game of the World Series. And Hereford, like, takes the cigar out of his mouth, and he's like, eh, he'll never do it. And then a few minutes later, uh, the copy boy runs back in, the 15-year-old, over-eager, anxious, still with his whole life in front of him, copy boy runs in. Mr. Hereford, Mr. Hereford, you're not going to believe this. He did it. Don Larson pitched a perfect game for the Yankees in the World Series today. And Hereford, like, takes the cigar out of his mouth and stops typing and says, eh, he'll never do it again. Right. So... So exactly right. Because <laughs> I, these <laughs> these crusty old men, like we we see it. I mean, you've seen some of these guys that work a beat for 20, 30 years. I mean, they they you get not immune but numb to it. You just yeah. you've seen it all. Sure. And it's not really fun. You know, you know, I have to sit on press row for the the games when they're you know fans in the stands, and you're not allowed to cheer. Yeah. Right. I mean, you just have to play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay. This is no, you know. And, and it's so yes for 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 uh, players to be tweeting. Oh my gosh, that's great. They're they're great. They love seeing great things from great players. Of course, but, of course. But something like that to to get these crusty old guys to be like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, we played. Uh, I showed you Shaq's comments. Uh, before we started recording, where he's like, well, you know, I used to have some good games myself. It's like, listen, Shaq, we know you're great, but 
this is Luca's moment to shine. Yeah. Charles is, and Kenny, to their credit, jumped in and basically yeah. shut that down pretty and, quick. You know, we, you've made the calls and we've seen, you know, the Houston game where he scored the last 11 points and yep. the Portland shot, the game two weeks ago. I mean, we've seen a lot of this, but I think even the Houston game that was on national TV or the Milwaukee game that was really great uh, in the bubble, um, this is the playoffs. This is the nation watching, yeah. the world watching. Right. And this was his coming out party where people are like, all right, this guy's a stud. Mm-hmm. And not only that, if I'm a player, gosh, I kind of want to play with that guy. Yeah, that's the really interesting thing. I mean, this week, Brian, we have seen Luca in his first playoff game set a an NBA record, breaking a decades-old record for most points scored in a first NBA playoff game with 42. Uh, then, you know, has the troubles with foul trouble in game two and gets hurt in game three and then bounces back today with – 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists, three benchmarks collectively, never hit before in an NBA playoff game, an overtime buzzer-beating step-back three to win the game. Um, You know, we're watching before our very eyes the national narrative about the Mavs changing. I mean, like, we're we're experiencing this real-time paradigm shift and how people view what the Mavericks were and what they are and what they can be. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to be kind of living in that moment right now. Uh, a few things before we go. One, talk about the last time we had this kind of playoff comeback. Never. We've never had this kind well, of. Well, what was yeah. the biggest one before this? Uh, 19 in 2003 in Game 5 against San Antonio in the Western Conference Finals. So today. That was um, the Nick Van Exel. That was the game that Walt Williams uh, carried me off the floor as TNT is going to break, saying, put away the Kool-Aid, you know, <laughs> t- t- thinking he was talking about the Gatorade bath because it was an elimination game. Yes, yes. That well, was for, Dirk got hurt uh, for, the game before that. For those who don't remember, and we might have some new listeners to the podcast, that, that from 2002 to 2005, right, Brian was mm-hmm. the director of analytics for the Mavericks. When, when analytics wasn't cool, um, right. you know, you, know, you heard Van Gundy and of analytics. <laughs> Van Gundy and Jackson were talking analytics. Uh, the... Color coded reports to Don Nelson, <laughs> thinking I'm interrupting him, but he's actually watching the Masters <laughs> ten minutes before tip. <laughs> However, your analytics reports did get him to actually put Marquise Daniels in the starting lineup yes. late in the 03 04 season, and you got Marquise Daniels a thirty six million dollar contract. You claim, yeah. <laughs> <But laughs> So whenever whenever you reference getting carried off the floor by Walt Williams and after that game five in 2003, that's the backstory. That's why Brian would be uh, in a position to be carried off the floor by by Walt Williams, who was very good in that series, by the way. So the other thing is that uh, as we're recording this, Utah and Denver are playing. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind, and Kenny Smith mentioned this as well. You know, we were the chic. You don't want to see us team, and then it kind of. After the Houston game, I think everybody jumped off that bandwagon, you know, right. the first game of the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were playing Denver or Utah right now, we would be killing them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, we would probably be, you know, winning at a decent rate against OKC, and who knows, you know, uh, we'd be holding our own against Houston, depending on how they're shooting. Yeah. Uh, we're playing the best team in the NBA, and it's 2-2. Yep. So even if we don't win this series, and again, I'm not trying to be moral victory guy, uh, they're playing at a high level against, you know, probably the best team going. Yeah, this is incredible stuff, man. I mean, this this series has so far exceeded my expectations. I just, you know, I can't believe it. And lastly, uh, I remember saying this on the Ticket Post Game Show during Dirk's last year at some point, saying, mm-hmm. you know, in my lifetime, and obviously you and I are the biggest Dirk homers there are. Sure. Uh, we will never see... As I'm wearing my 30K shirt right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we will never see a player like that again grace a Mavs uniform in our lives, I said. Right. And not, not even... I mean, they played on the same court. Yeah. Like, it, it, we didn't even take a year off yeah. before we are seeing what we're seeing with Luka. It's... it's I, I'm trying to think if there's even precedent for this in the league where you've gone from icon to potential legend and you know cuban had a really good tweet sunday afternoon it's like stop comparing him to others he's blazing his own path because i think didn't like sports center or something like that uh 
tweet Luca. They, they they tweeted Luca freaking legend. Like yes. I guess they're trying to call him Luke Legend, like Larry right. Legend, and stuff. Like and that, and so. here's the deal: uh, people have tried to give him nicknames like the ill-fated Matador, and which was not me that tried no, to do that. That was one. That was an assistant coach yes. at the Mavs that did that, and I don't know why people like you know. Uh, I don't know why people react. His name's Luca. He doesn't yeah. need a nickname. When you yeah. got a name like Luca. That's your name. Yes, I've never been. It's like know. Sinbad or Cher. <laughs> Sometimes I think people. Did I just reference Sinbad? You did. Yeah. Sometimes I think people believe that that we're out there looking for nicknames and stuff like that. I've, you know. Well, you that's did show me been, your list. That's ne- <laughs> when you did the Luca Magic call in Portland. You you said you had a list of ten amazing shot uh, things <laughs> like that you Jim were going to do. Right. Yes. <laughs> And you pulled, you can actually hear the rustling of your paper pulled out right before that shot went in. You know what you can hear is me pounding the table that night. Oh, yeah. That's what's the funny thing about That's that call. That's very Coop of you. Similar to Coop last year in the Denver game where he's standing and you can just see him getting red when Luca made that uh, and one slam. Yep. Yeah, the one in Denver uh, before Jokic hit it. Hit uh, hit a shot at the buzzer. But. So you were just slamming the table, and I do. Unfortunately, this is the only game of this series that you you didn't get to call because it was an yeah. ABC game and they yep. were exclusive. But I mean, game we'll a- we'll even get to do if there's a game seven, Brian, we'll get to do it. I mean, unless they pull a big curveball, but game seven is scheduled to be a TNT Saturday night game. I don't know okay. what time, but it's scheduled to be a Saturday night okay. game. Yeah, yeah so. similar to uh, Saturday night's game was an 8 o'clock start for the Lakers in Portland. So, yeah, Tuesday and Thursday we do have uh, 8 o'clock games, and they will be on Fox Sports Southwest. Have they said that Thursday? Have they, uh, have they said that's an 8 o'clock game? Uh, they I would be shocked that? if it wasn't. Yeah, I am. you're right. That, uh, True. 8 o'clock. Yeah, I mean, especially after this. Uh, Luca's, you know, we're, we're, we're at the primetime slot because it's L.A. and mm-hmm. it's Luca. We're getting to the point where even if – the Mavs play at Denver uh, because of Luca. Yeah, you're getting prime time. I mean, if you know, if they aren't maxed out on national TV next year, I don't. Yeah, uh, I'd be shocked. Whenever, whenever next year begins, uh, yeah, they'll be they'll be maxed out next year. There will be um, there will be 71. Uh, I think that's the number. I think that they or maybe 70. I can't remember if they can take us off the air 11 or 12 times max. So well, next season about, I'll be doing 70 games. Saturday we're not worried 82. about next year. We're yeah. worried about <laughs> next game Tuesday. Uh, I think it's going to be very similar to what we just saw. Where tomorrow there'll be media availability. We won't get much. There's going to be an MRI tomorrow or this afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Um, let's hope for good results from that. That's the first bit of news we should be refreshing our Twitter for. Yes, bank on, on are you talking about Luke or are you talking about KP? I'm talking about KP. Yeah, I would say bank on him being listed as questionable. Right. I don't think they'll list him as out. And alpha. then we won't know anything until game time and him working out on the court, I think, pregame again, frankly. It'll yep. be, you know, hopefully it'll be around when we heard today about Luca, but uh, we're on KP watch, but... Listen, I think today should show you anything that this is a scrappy bunch that with or mm-hmm. without KP, uh, they're going to give everything they got. And as you know, because he's been a guest on our podcast, the Mavericks Director of Player Health and Performance, uh, who has been for 15 years their athletic trainer, and then they moved him up to this this higher level position. Their head athletic trainer is Dion Calhoun. Their assistant athletic trainer is Heather Mao. Uh, and they've got a great strength and conditioning coach and Jeremy Holsopel and Casey Spangler is part of that staff as well. So when it comes to the Mavs medical team uh, and training staff and and all of the people that are involved in the treatments and the rehabs and things like that, I mean, you know we're going to stand for Casey. Uh, and I have impl- implicit trust uh, and those guys doing, you know, making the right call. Uh, they made the right call today with Luca, and and we assume they made the right call, of course, with KP. And we'll see, uh, you know, where that leads us to well, on Tuesday. You, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know there was some Twitter backlash uh, when Luca went back in the game in game three. Three, yeah. Uh, you know, why are they doing that? Uh, from you and I knowing Casey and having conversations with him, and we had him on this podcast. He is very conservative by nature yes. with his players. Yes, correct. So if there's any, if there was any inkling that he could get re-injured or anything bad, he would not have been put back in that game. Yeah, well, I think Casey. You know, when we had him on the podcast back, I think it was sometime in April. Maybe it was 
early April yes. or like the last week of March or something like that. Um, you know, he he softened his stance, I think, a little bit for us, you know, because I don't think he wanted to come on and be too negative, Nancy, about, you know, what would happen with the restart of the season post-coronavirus and things like that. But I think if you had injected Casey with truth serum, I don't think he would have been, you know, you know, talking about his conservatism, you know, from from, you know, erring on the side of caution. I don't think he would have been too optimistic about a season getting restarted just to kind of give were, you an at idea. At that point, a lot of hurdles still to leap over. Yes. Yes. And and the protocols to put in place, which obviously have worked. But, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the the extensive treatment that Luca got. And we talked about, you know, a month ago before game started, you know, what kind of traveling party they were going to take as part of those 35 people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good thing. They took as many training people as they had. Cause now they're doing double duty Yeah, because it's going to be every two hours with Luca and it's going to be every two hours with KP. <laughs> those guys are not getting much, uh, no. not getting much sleep. There's yeah. not gonna be a lot of fishing going on by the training <laughs> staff over the next 48 hours. You got that right for sure. So we've done this for, uh, we didn't make 77 minutes. We made uh, uh 63 but that's okay. That's okay. We can handle that. Uh, I'm glad we're not basically doing a pre-autopsy show. Yep. Um, we've got more basketball, more interesting. Uh, I cannot wait for Tuesday night and yeah. see what's going to happen. Um, so stick with us, MFFLs, and uh, we will see you next time on 77 Minutes in Oh, my God!